This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richie Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness. So not to put you on the spot, Richard, but a lot of the listeners and I were here when you said you were going to get into powerlifting. I feel quite put on the spot, I tell you. I know, I know, I know. And I was trying to be polite about what I was about to do. So how has it been going? So I'm doing something slightly different this month anyway, but it is related. I'll, come, I'll explain how in a second. So... At the moment, I'm doing a cut phase, but it's focused around kettlebell work, some complexes, some muscular endurance-based exercise as well. All right. So it's, it's trying to overload a little bit. So it's more timed exercises or higher rep stuff as well, pushing into that kind of upper extreme kind of intensity-based work. So your Wilkes score is your weight rated against the amount you can lift on the free power lifts. So okay. bench, deadlift, and squat. So you take the total... Like and the then, Sinclair. So the Sinclair is the Olympic lifting version of that. Yeah. So there's a calculation. It's not just the total weights divided by yeah, your weight. Yeah, some numbers, extra numbers yeah. that in. So this score basically determines how well you're doing, right. right? So it's a really useful judge because most... Well, all, all powerlifters that compete will have a Wilt score because obviously it goes up against their weights. So it's more useful to see sort of how good you are because it's a a good equaliser. So what I'm trying to do is cut weight at the same time as maintain muscle. So I'm trying to get into just body fat burning through this process. At the same time, with some of my sort of non-intensive training days like this, because I'm doing those three times a week, on the other two, I'm focusing in on mobility, some body weight movements, and some unconventional, the non-powerlifting style movements which I've explained quite badly, but basically the sumo, front squat, and floor press. Try and give me some carryover at a lighter weight. Isn't sumo directly related? Because it's just another version of deadlift, but it's going to significantly help your deadlift. Because I haven't done it for so long All right. as, as a style. I'm doing it at a light weight, just technically to move the bar and experience it in a different way, to fire into slightly different muscle patterns than the deadlift. So my hope is, is that by doing that twice a week, but light, those three, it means that my um, I maintain the strength while I'm off of the exercises because the idea is in September I come to the big movements to start trying to build them up. Um, so in terms of where I'm at with that is, funnily enough, yesterday I made the decision that I really need to get to the point where I'm at four plates deadlift, three plates squat, two plates bench before I start worrying. Now what makes me laugh about that is... Just to clarify, because, you know, in this day and age, you can really misuse words. You mean blue plates. You mean 20 kg oh, yeah. plates. So 180, 140, 100, right? Because you know someone could say they're doing two plates, but it's just two fives. Yeah, but we both know what two <laughs> I'm plates I'm just means. checking. I'm just checking. And for the listeners out there, I've now clarified the point. Yeah. So how's your training going? It's a weird thing trying to get the balance between gym strength and conditioning, basketball. Yeah, I can imagine. I always end up doing too much basketball and not enough gym training. So I've lost the balance the last two weeks and it's been mainly basketball and a touch of gym. So I need to get that balance back. If you were like a high level basketball player still and you're still competing at that level, then you've probably got the right balance. Maybe it's probably four to five basketball sessions to maybe one gym session. It's probably about right. Because you're not, it needs to go to two or three. You know what makes me laugh? <laughs> You're so right. The basketball is recreational in actual application. It's not recreational in my head. 
if my head is far from recreational, I'm critically analysing everything I do, trying to improve. Basically, you've got videos of it, and at home you sit and watch the video and circle yourself. No, I wish I should have been over here. I wish I had the videos. I said to my friend um, last season, because that was the first season I played again in like 12 plus years. I was like, can we get some video footage, please? And he looked at me like I was weird. I was like, no, I just want to have a look. We actually got one game which I managed to wrangle off, off the opposing team's cameraman. And he watched it and he started talking to me. I was like, I told you about that two or three months ago. But now you've seen it on camera. Now we can have a proper conversation. Do you do you play outside or inside? The league is indoors, but I play outside quite a lot. Mm. Okay, because I was going to say, because now with drones, you can get them fixed in the air, so they just hover in the same spot. Hey, that's dangerous. But the thing is... I stopped playing basketball because I realised, you know, to get a lot better from where I was, I'd have to put a ridiculous amount of time in. Yeah. And I kind of missed the boat. And on top of that, you know, it sounds weird, but I had other commitments that I needed to focus on more. Yeah. And even when I got married, I, I love playing basketball, but to play basketball, you need to put a lot of time in. And in our relationship, we weren't in a place for me to do that and it not be selfish. So now I'm getting to that point where, you know, everything's set up around me whereby I can not give a ridiculous amount of time, but give more time to basketball. So now I want to get back into it. And I'm an all or nothing type of guy. Yeah. This is where I think the, um, the, the training aspect becomes interesting. Because you've had that time away, you're going to see technique improvements come, come back from basketball, right? So the more you play, the more, the more technique you get. But as you know, you get that diminishing return as time goes on. So you're probably at some point now where you've gone above that initial kind of rise and you're now slowly still getting better, but not that massive. And the gym work could really come in and make a huge difference. See, it's funny. I don't think so. I think it's the opposite because that's the one fundamental thing that has been so consistent the whole time. I've always been in the gym. I've always been able to, like, even I haven't been playing basketball, I've been training like I've been playing basketball. Have you, yeah, but what I'm saying is, have you tried to incorporate stuff that's more going to help, like, explosive actions? We haven't been in the same gym for a long time at one of the gyms I work at. There's not many people who do really hard training. So now, just before the summer, I was starting to add explosive things back in. This is before, you know, I started getting doing more basketball training. I was doing leg press with my client. Then I'd come off the leg press and jump up and touch the lights in the ceiling. So contrast training. Yep. Or, Pat, for the listeners, I'll give them a simple version, then I'll give you more of a complex version. Okay. So, it's a superset type of format whereby you do a strength exercise straight into a power exercise. So, it is contrast training. Okay, hang on. I think we need to we need to simplify this down a little bit further for the listeners. So, contrast training is where you do a heavy set and then you do something explosive immediately afterwards. The idea being is that by doing the explosive set afterwards you overload your nervous system so therefore it allows you to 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 gain more height and more explosivity so it's quite useful for uh, people who do sports that require jumping or acceleration uh, and explosivity so think of like athletics think of basketball obviously think of um, even cycling is that how you see it yes so looking at the definitions of both they're they're described differently but they are the same thing. I presume then they must have been either, so you know, obviously at the time in the Cold War, there was different research that went on by different sides and they didn't share. So potentially it's something that both sides have come to separately and that might be why there's two different versions of the same finding yep. and two different names. So anyway, you're doing PAP or yes, contrast, contrast training. training. 
So I was doing that and people looked at me like a weirdo. Partly because I was jumping a ridiculous height for someone who's like two foot two. <laughs> Secondly, because in the middle of the gym, someone just starts jumping. You don't see that very often in most, most typical gym settings. <laughs> you don't see it. But in, it's, it's funny because you should see more of that because there are a lot of people who are amateur athletes, if you want. Like, I don't like the term weekend warrior because I think it sort of is derogatory, but you get a lot of people who, who have a sport they do and they want to improve at that, right? So you should see more of this kind of stuff going on, but you don't. You see a lot more... Uh, training for aesthetics, training basic cardio stuff. It's very one-dimensional. That's because of the general education in the gyms and the basic education of the trainers. Yeah. Because anybody who's got a certain level of education would understand that there's going to be phases where you make people do power stuff. You change it up so you can get different responses. And the response has nothing to do with the vanity, but ultimately will magically improve the vanity. The level of intensity you're going to put the person under... There's no way they can't burn more calories. If you train health and you train performance, you're going to see aesthetic improvement. Yes. Because when do you see an athlete, with the exception of obviously stuff like sumo wrestling and stuff like that, who is lining up for the 200 metres and they don't look decent at a very basic level? Even like sports that you go, well, potentially there's not a huge requirement for them to be that athletically fit. Like shooting, they still are in peak form because they need that for their sport, right? If you concentrate around performance and if you concentrate around health, you're going to look good. If you concentrate around looking good, you might look good, but you won't be able to do it outside the gym. And that may not improve your health on the long term. Exactly. So going back to the point, in terms of the strength, that's always been there. Yeah. I always end up cycling back through a strength phase, then going to a little bit of power and stuff like that. Because it's summer... And the weather's good. Or, you know, in the UK, let me say, the weather can be good <laughs> for small periods of time. I've been using that time to put more of the basketball work in. I went out to the court with my friend early in the morning. I was thankful he came out at 6am. Yeah. I shot 600 to 700 shots in two hours. Okay. My legs were shaking by the end. How the shoulders? They actually weren't that bad. My legs were gone. Yeah. No okay. lift. We were working a lot on technique, but with a sport like basketball, a lot of it is control and conditioning the body to do the same thing again and again and again. It's motor control more than like just all-out fitness. I think that's a key facet of a lot of sports as well. Like If you look at, say, golf, right? The key thing with being good at golf is being able to perfect that shot action. Same with tennis. The difference, I think, with basketball is there's more variety of shot action because obviously you've got your simple sort of off-the-backboard type of shot where you aim for the corner and then, you know... Wait, 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 wait. If you're not going to say the technical terms, the jump out of the boat. I can't remember the technical terms. Okay, yeah, so you talk about the layup, you've got the jump shot, right, and then you've got a floater. And then you've got the one where, obviously, you're on the... Three-throw line. Yeah, uh, the, I was... Um, no. You can say three-point line. So you're, you're at the three-point line, but you're in the corner and you shoot across, so there's no backboard. Yeah. Right, so you've got a variety of different things, but then you've also got passing, dribbling... You've got pick and roll. You've got all these other different technical aspects and they require different ball handling skills, right? So you have more variety. Now, from conversations I've had with golfers, effectively, the golf swing, whether you're swinging and doing a drive or whether you're doing a, a chip shot on a wedge, is the same swing. It's the same action. It's just a different contact point. 
you say that and I agree. But even as a rookie playing golf, the one thing which, you know, always amazes me when watching golf is there's so many factors outside the shot which ultimately totally change the shot. Think about it. That's one sport where you're up against all the elements. Yeah. So say you've got a 200-yard drive yeah. on any given day. That's short, by the way. Okay. That's a short drive. Okay. Like so say you got that. Then add wind resistance against your 200-yard drive. Just straight against it. That's, let's say, 150. Then on top of that, add a sideward wind. Well, not even that. If you've got deviation, if you hit the ball one degree off of the point you're going to hit... That one degree down there is minimal. But by the end point, you're 20, 30 yards off of the line that you want to be on. So the changes in weather from day to day, and you can say hour to hour. But it's the same, I think, in most sports. Because if you take, say, basketball, right? So golf, the ball comes to lie and rests. And then you line up and you take that shot, right? And yeah, there's wind and there's you know grass condition and yeah, there might be a hill. But in basketball there's a lot of free moving factors that go on as well. So like you receive the ball, right? You know, you have to determine if you're going to shoot, pass or dribble from where you are. And then how well you receive that ball from your pass from your teammate, that might be a compromising factor for what you can do, where your opponents are lining up defensively, right? Your own confidence, all these other factors come as well. I think it's the same for every sport. The difference is, is that in golf, like if it's wind, if it's a little bit windy and changeable, you could sort of wait and wait till the wind dies down. But you're still taking a risk because as soon as you strike the ball, the ball can be in flight and then the wind comes in. You're right, but it's a, it's kind of like you can respond slowly to the changing things. In basketball, everything happens at a split second, yeah. so it's almost. So that's why I think it's a motor. It's like the motor skills which need to be continually redone and mastered. When you're looking at say uh, with golf, it's about being perfect because you need to be as perfect as possible to win. With other sports like basketball, football, rugby, you don't have to be perfect. You have to be better. The one that makes the least mistakes. Yeah, because effectively you can get away with a poor pass. For example, you can be playing, right, and then your centre is awful. The other four players are playing really well around them and it offsets that problem, right? In golf, if you're playing um, four ball, if you're playing with your partner and your partner's terrible, that's it, you're done. Forget it. You, you can't win. It's just a different type of sport, I think, but... Yeah, but that's one of the things that I feel like I need to work on more now is being able to look at a situation, see how, you know, instinctively I read it and then retrain myself to do it differently. That's also a, a skill of someone who's more experienced than someone who's younger because when you're younger, you can run around more, you can you can dedicate more energy output towards the game when you're older you don't want to do that because that's what's going to compromise you because it's not that you're not fitter it's that there's a higher weight of other things bearing onto you so i had this conversation with one of my clients and we were talking about energy output you've got three different types of energy right so you've got physical you've got your mental and you've got your emotional if you're dealing with a lot of stress then it's going to sap some of your energy for emotional reasons if you're dealing with a quite involved bit of work or something like that it's going to drain you mentally right or if you've got exams or whatever and obviously if you're quite physical in what you're doing then you're taking away physically so when we're looking at say playing basketball and you get older you've got more things that drain that energy outside of that basketball because you've got family stuff stresses from work more involvements around just general sort of day-to-day -day life so your energy level you come into is lower even if you're fitter than you were when you're 20 when you're 20 you've got no concerns you can wake up and just play basketball that day that's all you're doing right you don't have to worry about anything else when you're 35 you don't have that 
basically the way my client and me were discussing this was about sandwiches. So you've got free sandwiches. <laughs> what are you doing with your free sandwiches? You know, what's the feeling of those free sandwiches and what is, what's it going to give you? Is it going to give you enough fuel to get through the day? Because if you've already used two of your sandwiches up on emotional stuff, you've got one sandwich left. And if you've got to play basketball on one sandwich, you've got to know how you're going to do that without running out of sandwiches. <laughs> you're making me hungry, but it's a good, very good point. But yeah, so that's where that's where my training is right now. My training is at a point where it's a lot of basketball, minimal gym. And I need to put a bit more gym back in, but I like this period because, you know, I can work a lot more on the skills and make things, you know, automatic rather than second-guessing my movements. And also, so the listeners know, this is all around my work and my family life. So I yeah. always need to make sure I put the brakes on myself mentally because I can always go over the edge and just go crazy with basketball. Yeah, and you don't want to do that. You don't, you don't want to do that. We won't see you again. Yep, don't end up in a garage. So I've just come to the end of an eight-week GVT phase with one of my clients. Have you? I've just started some GVT. He hated it. For, for the <laughs> listeners who don't know, GVT, German volume training. But the one that I was using is more like a modified German volume training. So it's only five sets. Ten reps. Yes. Tempo, two seconds down, two seconds up? Or? No, tempo is four, four, two. You're doing four, two, okay. Because that, that was the standard one that I've used most of the time. And when I was looking at a lot of the studies, I was doing five sets instead of ten reps because when they compared the two, you can actually see there's not a significant difference in results compared to ten. It's like once you pass five, you get into that area where you may get a bit more gains, but ultimately it's the land of diminishing returns. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you do it, you tend to find that for anyone who's you know, got a very high sort of experience of training, possibly that extra five sets might make an incremental difference. But for the vast majority of people, it's it's so small that it makes no point in... Yeah, just overkill. Yeah, it's just too much damage. So he hated it because he hates doing anything past a certain tempo. So what were you doing it for? For him, it was a gain size. For me, I was just, I was just along for the ride. Yeah, so you, you, you were doing the challenge yourself element of it. That's it. But for him, it was to gain size in a different way because you can do 12 reps, but for the speed he was doing 12 reps, he wasn't going to get the most out of it. So I was like, I need to put him in a principle where, whereby he actually end up doing a, a good, decent amount of tempo to elicit the gains. Yeah, because you're effectively working for 60 seconds per set, for, per exercise. Were you supersetting it, uh, pairing? Uh, yes, I was pairing, which made it probably made it even more horrible. So, yeah, effectively, it's two minutes of work, and then probably your rest time was equal? Like, no, less. Okay, yeah. Down about a minute rest. Yeah, so, therefore, yeah, the, the stimulus effect on him is going to be big. I felt it. <laughs> so, you must have felt it. The amount of size I put on, I think, when I started, I was about 76 kg. Yeah. I'm about eight, 82 now. Wow, 83. that's big. That's a big jump. I honestly believe... My hormone levels, I need to check them, but certain things are going to be jacked through the roof naturally. <laughs> I, I, I just don't think it's possible. Well, that's good. So what's your move now in terms of training? Where are you going after this? You know, you'd usually after a phase like this for me, I would say, okay, if I've gained the size, now I need to make sure that I'm able to utilise the size as much as possible. So now it'd be a strength phase. Oh, so you're going raw strength? Strength or power. But I feel like for now, I need to go into strength. Sometimes it's all about your yeah. mindset. And my mindset right now isn't for power. <laughs> it may be funny to say this. 
I need to take time to find the right person to write me the power program. Because you know when you write your own program, you always do the stuff you like and not the stuff you don't like. Yeah, and I, I think as well, when you do your own program, you fall into the same traps in a way because you structure it in the way that you like to structure your own training. Whereas when someone else looks at it, they've got a different viewpoint. And that different viewpoint can see maybe holes that you have noticed That's in it. your training. Like, I was thinking the other day about how long ago it was that I lasted a T-bar row. And I was thinking, I haven't done one of those in years. And I was thinking, there's obviously huge benefit to it. But I, I always end up doing a barbell row or I end up doing a single arm row. I never really hit the T-bar, which is obviously a different grip and a different position and it has a different effect, relatively. So, so you know, someone else will come along and put a T-bar row in for me. How's your training going? Uh, mine's weird. Post-lockdown COVID, I decided I need to get my strength levels back up because for the whatever it was six months of time that they stopped us from working out in gyms I couldn't train anything on strength so my strength levels were way down so I built up I did an extra long period of strength work I wanted to move into more of a hypertrophy phase work on some sort of muscle tone muscle kind of like look and conditioning work because I felt that's the next area and that's one of the areas I always tend to neglect because for you it's probably the most disliked area it's because of the mentality of it it's really hard because so with stuff like strength, it's easy, right? You're trying to lift more than you lifted before. I've got a number that I started at the beginning with, and I've got a number that I'm on currently. And I can look at the numbers and go, well, I've, I'm lifting more weight, so therefore I've got stronger, right? And yeah, arguably, you know, neurological things and all the rest of it, but on paper, I've moved up, right? So I can see our progress on paper. When you look at endurance, I can also play with metrics because I can cut rest times down, or I can, and I can still increase the weight I'm lifting and do the same number of reps so if i'm doing say 20 kilos at the start of the period and i'm doing 22 at the end then you know i've improved i can, I can these are all measurable numbers but with hypertrophy it's about look and it's really hard because i'm judging it by eye and that's why i struggle with it mentally so what i did at the end of the strength phase was initially try and move into that hypertrophy work but i ended up in the trap of focusing in again on the weight numbers so I decided that was the wrong way to go and decided I needed a complete breakout. So that's why I did the GVT this week because it's just a completely different mentality. I wanted to do the 10 sets because it pushes me to a point where I'm going, well, I'm doing 10 sets here. I don't want to change weight. I want to keep the weight the same and just work it. And that weight's going to be lighter than I can work at, but I want to see the impact of it. So the damage on my system, how much impact it has on me. And day one killed me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it's still killing me now. Day two, which was yesterday, which was um, bench and rows, I probably undercooked it a little bit. But again, that's a natural reaction from day one where I overdid it. But you know what's funny about that? In this subtle nuance of any good program is the first week when you do it, you're always going to undercook it. And it's almost like yeah. a pre-built-in deload period. Yeah, because you're trying to find your levels. And then, you know, I'm going I'm to finish off next week. And I'm hoping that what it means is, is that break in terms of mentality means that when I come to the next week, and I'm going to try again on hypertrophy and see how we go. What's crystallised in my mind now is I'm not going to try and change weights. I'm going to try and keep the, the period of time exactly the same. And I'm going to try and play with the duration of, of the session. So time and attention, but I'm going to keep track of how long I'm roughly working out for. Because my watch will record my total time. And I'm going to try and beat my times. So I know that I've got more time and attention. So same reps, same weights, same sets. 
and play with time and attention a little bit more. So time and attention and then playing with the length of the session or not playing with the length of the session? Roughly, the, roughly the same. Just so the rest periods will roughly be the same. Right. So because it's hypertrophy, it'll be about 90 seconds. And then it's going to be four sets, 10 reps. So it's all going to be the same. Weight's going to be the same. But I'm going to try and make it so that the, let's say the total time worked because my, my watch tells me is 22 minutes for the session. I'm going to try and make it 24 then 24 then i know i've got more time and attention which should mean the muscle's done a bit more work yeah. which therefore is my adaptation that's my thinking because that gives me a measurable marker to look at rather than just go by eye of do i look like i've got more sort of muscle shape and toning yeah that makes sense yeah so that's, that's where i'm going with this so going back to what i was talking about before one thing i have to do this year is recheck my hormone levels because I want to see, actually, you know, compared to the results and how quickly I can put on muscle, what my testosterone levels are really like. Because now with kids and a lack of sleep, I know my testosterone isn't going to be where it was. But it's still at quite a high level to get such good results so quickly. Well, you also have to bear in mind as well that it's relative to you. That's it. Because some people, like, I, I always sort of felt my testosterone was on the higher end. And then when I did um, a blood test earlier in the year, the numbers came back at the lower end. It still said I was in I was in an, a healthy range, but it was it was at the bottom end. And I actually felt that when I looked at those numbers, they were that was an indication to me that it wasn't it wasn't where it should be, and it actually should have been higher up. I've made some changes on that to try and bring that up. The testosterone range, how big is it? You know that that normal value. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. So I wonder how big like what that range really means because you know if you compare that to something like the BMI, which has been around since the beginning of time, but has been flawed since the beginning of time. If you go off something like that, you're always going to think you're in the wrong place. Well, the, I mean, the BMI scale is a, is a conversation for another day because I can tell you where that comes from and it's quite funny. But we'll deal with that at the time. The normal range is between 300 and 1,000 nanograms per deciliter, which is huge because if you think about it, that's, that's quite a significant difference because someone at 300... A thousand is is over three times the amount. Yeah. Now, also when you look at athletes, they're allowed to be at three thousand before they get done. Are you serious? Yeah, three thousand before they get done for having high testosterone. So if you've got an athlete and your athlete's at two thousand, you're allowed to legally dope them up to three thousand before anyone gets picks up on it. Bear that in mind. You just blow my mind. Yeah. So what you're telling me is, I should take some testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> There's no way my levels are going to be above, like, maybe 1,000 compared to an athlete. One of the things is, is testosterone is hugely, hugely misunderstood. Um, most people, when they tend to hear about testosterone, will, will immediately shut down. They view it as, you know, the aggressive hormone. It's, it's obviously the male sex hormone, but they'll, they'll view it as something that is, is a problematic thing. People having high testosterone is bad, leads to violence. It can lead to anger issues. And, and you know this is the way they view it and also as as we've also just mentioned doping there's this whole thing about well anyone with high testosterone is obviously doping so this this leads this leads that the conversation that way but in reality the numbers that are now coming out are showing that testosterone is on on decline and has been for a number of years so there was a study that shows that um, there's been a 10 to 40 percent reduction in testosterone in males from comparable ages so taking the year 2000 and looking at the year 2020 you can see that the same age groups 
are showing decline, and it's a it's a it's a huge decline, ten to 20, ten to forty percent. Ten to forty percent, but that's almost fifty percent, which is almost half. Yeah, like they they undersell it all the time. And you know, thinking about it from that is we're talking about the year two thousand. We're not talking about when supposedly men were men. You know, the nineteen sixties, the nineteen fifties. We're talking about the year two thousand when men were already viewed as, you know, metrosexual and this kind of thing. Right? You've already got these terminologies coming on. You've already got this concept of like the 90s man and, and and the rest of it and there's that bigger reduction right from there to there so it has a huge issue so talking about that one of the faces i always get from my clients after about four months of training is that shocked look when i say to them they need, they need to check the hormones and they always wonder why and i think one thing that you know a lot of the trainers out there and maybe the you know the, the high level people who like to train you got to realise that your body is like a car and your hormones are kind of like, in this analogy, the motorway. Yeah. And if you haven't got your hormones in the right in the right state, then you're heading in the wrong direction. It doesn't matter how much you put your foot down on the pedal, you're not going up the highway in the right direction. You're going, you'll be reversing and not getting towards your goals. I hope that analogy helps. But I tried to <laughs> always put that in because... People don't realise the effects of like low testosterone and how not just for men, but men and women, how it affects so much. If you've got a low level of testosterone, it affects your cognitive function. So your, your brain performance, you don't think right because your testosterone is too low. It will obviously affect your sex drive and your ability to reproduce. It can affect your um, ability in decision making in terms of risk and reward as well. So, you know, you could well be thinking about making a uh, decision you know to buy a car or something and that decision is going to be tempered by your testosterone level if your testosterone level is low you're going to choose the more conservative safer car whereas if your testosterone is higher you're going to choose the more risk risky option i don't just mean in terms of what kind of car i mean in terms of how much financial expenditure you're going to make now you might view that as a good thing or a bad thing depending on where you are financially but you know you might well choose to choose the second hand rover over the new Range Rover for example and that decision can be tempered by your testosterone but on training I mean so testosterone obviously enables you your body to grow muscle if you've got enough testosterone in your system you'll see some muscle growth uh, that's not just in terms of muscle size it's also in terms of fiber so what, what it does is it enables you to to improve this is why when you're looking at people who say you use steroids one of the things that steroids can do is increased testosterone levels as a trigger, and that enables their uh, the systems to build more muscle, stimulates that that muscle building signal. Equally, it has an effect on muscle recovery. So, when you're training and you're working hard, one of the factors that you want is you want to be able to recover quickly enough for the next session. Because if you train really hard, say on a Monday, and you're next planning to train on Wednesday, so you've got a day gap, a high testosterone level will allow you to recover quick enough to then perform well in that Wednesday session. Otherwise, you're gonna fall flat and that Wednesday will be harder to do. So you're not gonna get the full benefit of that second session. So effectively, that testosterone level will govern and help that. And then I think the thing that people are most probably unaware of in terms of testosterone is on body fat. Having a low testosterone level will increase your body fat. So that's the thing that a lot of clients don't really understand until they're told. And then once they check their levels, they realise that it's quite low. Even in, in females to a certain degree, then they start to understand. Well, the, I mean, this is another key point. It's because people tend to think testosterone is a male-only um, hormone. It's not. Women have testosterone. So, 
a funny thing about female testosterone levels, their levels actually peak just before ovulation. Okay, so it's a key part of that uh, that whole process, that period process. Yeah. So this is the key point, guys, because it's not just a, a male hormone. Both sexes have it, and it's a key part of the, the sexual reproduction cycle for both sexes. Yeah, and it's just about getting that balance. Both male and female, it's understanding, you know, get, getting a test to find out where you are, and then understanding how to get that balance so you can put your body in the best position to either gain muscle or lose weight. Or in some cases, both. Yeah. And we're saying get tested, but it's, it's also helpful if, if people understand that they might their body might well be giving them signals that they are low testosterone and it will have an impact on their training progress. So stuff like having no sex drive, having poor concentration, having lethargy, these are all signs of... of a lack of testosterone and then equally this can this can impact your ability to work out because if you're always feeling tired you're not going to be able to push 100% in training if you're not able to concentrate at work you know you're not going to work perform well there if you've got no sex drive that's you know I don't I don't tell you but that's just generally bad <laughs> especially if you're at a healthy young age right if your body fat seems to be rising no matter what you're doing then that's this is this is another sign of of having low testosterone. Or likely to be having. It. Yeah. Because you know we we can talk about this and say you may have, but we don't know for sure until you've checked all the data and done all the tests. You won't really know. Yeah, and this is this is where you know when you've got these signs, it's good to go and get them checked. Uh, going right back to the initial point when we're talking about testosterone levels for Lawrence, he might come out with a score of say. On, on that scale, 600. And then his doctor will go, you're perfectly healthy. But he might feel personally that his level's on the low end because he knows that due to uh, a lack of sleep and you know all the other factors that are coming in, that he's actually probably on the low end, right? And so next time he comes around and does it, it might well be up at 800 and he feels okay. And he might do it again and he comes out at 900 and that's actually where he feels optimal. So for him, optimal is 900 right but the scale is showing that he's he's banging the middle of of normal range but that normal range is relative to him equally my number might well be you know 450 and i might feel like i'm amazing and that might well be my optimal number because it's just different for different people and it's understanding where you sit on that range as to what makes the most sense for you so one of the things we haven't spoke about is not so much the problem but from a practical standpoint, how do you fix it? Well, let's say, for the sake of argument, that you've gone away, you've got tested, and you've got low testosterone, and you come back with that. There's a few practical, easy steps you can do before you need to worry too much about spending extravagant amounts of cash. So one of them is trying to address your sleep. So one of the areas that I often find myself having conversations with clients these days about is about sleep. So I'll have a conversation along the lines of, what's your sleep setup like? What's your bedroom like? Is it too bright? Is it um, full of electronics that are on and connected to Wi-Fi all the time? Uh, what temperature is it? How loud is it? Uh, just checking these kind of things, making sure the, the environment's like, um, the right kind of setup for, for actual sleep. Because, you know, these days it's so easy to stay connected. You know, people put their phones right next to their head when they sleep. They often use it as an alarm. They keep it on and connected to Wi-Fi and that can dis disrupt your brainwaves as you sleep. Um, equally, there's a tendency to try and make your room nice and warm. 
before you sleep so that it feels comfortable when you get in there. This is actually not the best environment for sleep because temperature uh, really should be a little bit colder to get optimal sleep. A lack of sleep is a big impact on testosterone. If you tend to stay up too late and then sleep in during the, during the first part of the day, that can also impact your sleep. And then that's down to the circadian rhythm. Yeah, and that, I mean, we'll have a sleep podcast at some point, I'm yeah. sure. But yeah. one of the key things I found looking at a lot of the journals was in terms of men, low-fat diets have a really bad effect on male testosterone. So for the listener, we're talking, when we're talking low-fat diet, we're really talking about something that's, that's moderate or high-carb. Yep. So this is your traditional uh, kind of what was recommended as a healthy diet from, say, the 80s onwards, which is going to be stuff like pastas, rice, breads, potatoes, that kind of thing as the, as the staples of your diet. And then avoiding oils and butter, red meat, high-fat cuts of meat, so like chicken fries, that kind of thing. Yeah, but, you know, you've always got that stigma. The stigma in the media is that, you know, don't have fatty foods. Yeah. But it's like you need the fatty foods, but you need the natural fatty foods, not the unnatural. Having an avocado or having some nuts is all okay. Do you know, interestingly enough, on diets, you know that the whole low-fat phenomenon that occurred was actually out of one research paper that was sponsored by Coca-Cola. Are you serious? Yeah, so apparently in, in the 1980s, there was a move towards trying to find out why there was such a uh, an issue in, in the US about increasing weight sort of gain. So there was a research paper that was conducted and the findings came back that it's because of the amount of high-fat foods people were consuming. And it was advised, therefore, to the US government to try and promote low-fat foods. This is why you had all these low-fat foods that came out, like low-fat yogurts, low-fat microwaveable meals, cutting these things down. One of the things that was also recommended was to keep sugar in your diet because sugar could offset some of the hunger feeling and that would stop you going for high-fat options. And a few years later, Diet Coke was launched, funnily enough. It's got no sugar, but it's got a sweetener. Yeah, well, that's a different problem. Yes, totally different problem. So, you know, if you're trying to put on a lot of size and you're testosterone isn't too high doing a gvt may not be the best idea for you it does sound obvious that in order to gain muscle you want to have some level of testosterone right but it's not just muscles in just packing on size and becoming like the hulk it's also muscle tone because if you don't have that degree of testosterone if you're not firing your hormone system in the right way you're not going to build because if your hormones are out of balance your body will feel like it's under threat and it will switch to a survival mode and in a survival mode, it's not going to try and grow and improve. It's going to try and hold on to what it's got. And that's also why it tries to hold on to body fat, because effectively, it feels like it's under threat. So body fat's useful because body fat is energy. Mm-hmm. So holding body fat and trying not to build muscle is an optimal state for survival. It feels like you're in some sort of crisis event, and it's grabbing any resource that it can get. It's like the little old lady when they've heard about some, you know, a gale force wind going and buying all the frozen peas, right? That's effectively what your body's done. And you've got a load of frozen peas at home with not enough freezer space. And we're trying to introduce some different foods into your diet. There's another area of this as well, which is around culture and how society views testosterone. Because if you start telling everyone that you're trying to boost your testosterone levels, they typically tend to look at you like you're a bit crazy, right? Because it's not perceived to be a positive thing to do once again it goes back to the bodybuilders yeah they just think about bodybuilders and being extremely aggressive the good news is is that obviously these days now is that a lot of women are encouraged to do uh, strength work so there's that girls gone strong kind of movement which is obviously helping and i think that there's 
a push towards that kind of area. But what hasn't followed and hasn't linked in here is is that there's a positive need for testosterone. Our mentality is still stuck in the kind of dark ages of bodybuilding. Yeah. Not um, the scientific age that we're in now where we know better. The other issue is, is that there is a real side of, of bodybuilding and elite level sport, which is about doping. Yep. That stigma will always sort of be there floating around in the background because if you do achieve great success in terms of improving how you look, let's say you go from being overweight, unfit and relatively weak to being strong, fit and lean and active, there's always going to be some level of people who say, well, are they on steroids? Because no one else will accept that success, even though you might have done it naturally, because to them, it's an impossible transition. But that's the irony of this conversation, is that they accept that that could be doped through steroid use, which is ultimately usually testosterone-driven, but yet no one really links the fact that rising testosterone levels improve these areas, generally. So rounding up this whole thing about testosterone... It's hugely misunderstood. It's something that's absolutely vital if you're going to make any progress in terms of training. And we're not saying that you need tons of it we're saying that you need to make sure you're in a healthy and optimal range for you so as as a takeaway point getting it regularly tested and checked is a useful way of knowing where you are if you know that your testosterone level at 20 is this and at 25 is this and at 30 is this that's a helpful marker point if you know that you're slightly under your testosterone levels and what signs you display when you're under then that's also useful because then you don't need to test as often but you can still see so if you know that when you've got a low sex drive or you're just feeling generally lethargic then that's an early sign that you've got a low testosterone level then you can do something about that and you can try and make sure that you've improved there we've already discussed the benefits here in terms of muscle growth muscle recovery and uh, reducing body fat they're the key takeaway points if if of any of those areas are of interest to you which if you're listening to a podcast about fitness, they should be, right? Definitely. Then, then ultimately, you need to make sure your testosterone's at the right level. It's an absolutely fundamentally vital thing for men and for women. And it's hugely misunderstood. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.